0: where we find Moses crying out, please show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today. Lord, we need to hear from you in these days, perhaps more than any days that I know that I've been walking with you. Every day... Seemed like things are amping up, and then the next day they seemed to be amping up more. Lord, we lift up our eyes because you're the one that brings help to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, quite a lot had transpired just in the last couple days for Moses. Before he uttered those words, please show me your glory. Of course, he had led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. Uh, God had given the people his commandments. They had agreed to them. It was an interesting story. He verbally gave them the commandments. And they agreed. And then Moses is called up to the mount. He's up there for 40 days. I have to suppose those 40 days were the sweetest. Some of the sweetest 40 days of Moses' life. Just 40 days spending time alone with God. It must have been amazing. And he receives from God these two tablets of stone with those commandments that the people had agreed to. God has engraved on them his commandments. Moses has those stones, and he has the blueprints for a tabernacle. God had said, I want to be with the people. But after he'd been up there so long, the people were wondering where he was. And they finally told Aaron, well, you know the story, right? Aaron, make us a golden calf. And they brought all their golden earrings and everything to Moses. And he constructed for them a molded calf. And they began to worship it, saying that this calf was the one that brought them out of Egypt and so the Lord, while Moses is up on the mountain, he informs him of what the people were doing down at the bottom of the mountain, telling Moses that the people had corrupted themselves, that they had quickly turned aside from the Lord, and that they were worshiping this golden calf, They were partying unrestrained. It was basically carnal chaos down the mountain. And so as Moses came down the mountain, he saw the people and it just he just was so whether frustrated or whatever it was, he just cast those commandments down and those two tablets, and he broke them. And he stood in the entrance of the camp. Whoever is on the Lord's side, let him come to me. And the men from the tribe of Levi came, and then they brought judgment throughout the camp. That day, 3,000 Israelis died. And then the next day, Moses addressed the people, "You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin." He then he went and interceded on behalf of the people. He asked the Lord to forgive them. And the Lord said, here's what I'll do. You keep leading the people to the land that I'm going to give you, the land I'm giving them. But I'm not going to go with you anymore. My presence won't be with you. I'm going to send my angel to be with you. When the people heard this, it really shook them up. We're told they stripped themselves of their decorations. Those were the decorations they had partied in. And they began to mourn. And then we're told that Moses took his tent and he left the people and he went outside the camp with his tent. And he set it up and the children of Israel watched as the pillar... Of cloud stood at the door of Moses' tent. No doubt they knew this was serious. It could go either way. God would either judge them or perhaps show grace toward them. I'm guessing they held their collective breath. And then we're told in the 33rd chapter, verse 14, that the Lord honored Moses' request. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses then responded there in verse 15. He said, if your presence does not go with us, then don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight unless you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord responded, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know your name. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite commentators, he wrote this in regards to this story. He said, to be given every other blessing he said, it's of no value if God is not with you. What is the value of Cain, and what is the value of milk and honey? What is the value of having possessions if God is not with them? They saw that the realization of the presence of God, having his fellowship and his company, they saw that that was infinitely more important than anything else. I have a question. Is it more important to you, to us, this morning than anything else? Now, with all of that background, we come back to our text. Because it's at this point that Moses cries out, please. He's talking directly to the Lord. Please. Please. Show me your glory. The glory that Moses was asking for in the Hebrew, the word for glory is kavod. That, that, that word, kavod, it means the weight, the substance, the splendor, the honor. Kavod, you see, it speaks of the glory of God. Back in Genesis 3 or Genesis 2, before Genesis 3, it was the kavod that Adam and Eve knew, the kavod that Adam and Eve enjoyed before chapter 3, before the fall, before they sinned. But when they fell into sin, we told that they were naked, that they were uncovered, that they were without the glory. They were without the cavode to cover them. The glory of God, because of sin, had departed, and they were naked. They were helpless. They were empty of God's covering and they knew it. And by the way, that's the condition of everyone that does not know the Lord today. They're helpless, they're empty. They're searching for something to fill the void, to fill that emptiness within. And unbeknown to them, it's the glory of God that they're searching for. The kavod. Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter there in chapter 4, verse 3. He says, But if our gospel is veiled, It's veiled to those that are perishing. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Wherever you're at with the Lord... If you're not, and you're here this morning, or perhaps watching online, you don't know the Lord, you you don't have a personal relationship with him, what's going on within you is that you're yearning for the kavod. You're yearning for the glory of God. You're craving for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's true for everyone that we all come in contact with every day that doesn't know Jesus. And their problem is they're looking to fill that emptiness in all the wrong places. And the result, they continue to be empty, unfulfilled, unsatisfied. They're frustrated, they're exasperated, they're discouraged, they're discontented, they're disgruntled, they're disappointed. They're disillusioned, they're disheartened, they're disenchanted, they're embittered. Shall I go on? They're lost. Moses' cry, please show me your glory. It's kind of interesting because God had said, okay, I'll go. My presence will go with you. But for Moses, obviously, as he made that cry, Moses is saying, That's not enough for me. Moses is saying, Lord, I want more. I want more. Lord, I've seen you smite the Egyptians. I've seen you part the Red Sea. I've seen as you brought water from the rock. I've watched as bread came down from heaven. I spent 40 days on the mountain with you. I was alone with you. I've had you speak to me as a friend speaks to a friend. I've received your promise to have your presence continue on with us as we travel to the land that you promised us. But Lord, I I know. I've only scratched the surface. I know there's more. There's more of your love. More of your grace. There's more of your mercy. I know I have not reached the epicenter of who you are. Lord, I want more. I want to go there. Please, show me your glory. I wonder, should we be crying the same cry? Should that be what we ought to be saying to the Lord? Lord, please, show me your glory. Well, not only is it right for us to cry out that prayer, but Jesus desires that we cry out that prayer. You remember in the Gospel of John, right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he uttered the most amazing priestly prayer in John 17. As that prayer was coming to a close, Jesus prayed, In verse 24, he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. That was his prayer for you. That's his prayer for me. That's his prayer for each and every one of us, that we behold His glory. So the Lord responded to Moses' request. Uh, in, In this way, verse 19. Then he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but not my face but my face shall not be seen. I have a question for you this morning. It's a very personal one. So it's not for the person sitting next to you. It's for you. Are you satisfied with your relationship with Jesus? Or do you want more of him? You see, is this your cry? Please, show me your glory. Again, that was Moses' cry, and the Lord said, okay. I'll show you what you can handle. I like that. God's not going to give you any more than what you can handle. He says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. And and then I'll take away my hand. And you can see my backside or my afterglow. We sometimes at churches will have a time we call an afterglow. That's where it would come from. you'll see the afterglow of my glory. Now, you have to look real closely. You have to kind of see through the pages of your Bible. And you've got to listen closely. Because if you see, if you listen between chapters 33 and 34. And the space is blank, so you've got to kind of envision this. You've got to listen. You, you'll almost hear the Lord saying to Moses Do you really want more of me? Do you really want to see my glory? Moses, are you willing to pay the cost to do what it takes? And if you look real closely, if you listen, you'll hear Moses say, Oh, yeah, Lord, I'm willing to pay the cost. Now, Chapter 34, what it does for us is it outlines what that cost was. What it was that Moses had to do to put himself in the place where he might experience the answer to his cry. Please, show me your glory. And so we begin reading there in chapter 4, and the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Remember what he did to those first tablets? He broke them. He goes, cut two more. The first ones he didn't have to cut. These he has to cut. He has to personally get those tablets like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. I like God's kind of sense of humor there. He said, so be ready in the morning and come up in the mountain and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. So Moses gets his instructions from God, and basically his instructions were this. Moses, you want to see my glory? Be ready in the morning. When you come up on the mountain, don't bring anybody with you, you come alone. In other words, God says, here's the deal. I have an appointment with you in the morning, Moses, the person that would perhaps have authority over you in your life, perhaps your employer. Maybe it's an interview for a job. But your employer, let's just suppose it's your employer. And your employer says, I need you in my office at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. So I have a question for you. What time are you going to stroll into the office? Ah, <laughs> oh, Maybe 8.30, quarter to 9. Might get, I'll try to get there before 9. How long do you think you'd have that job? Well, I, I can only speak for me. If I was your employer, you'd already be fired. And so just so you know. God said, we have an appointment in the morning. So be ready. You want to see my glory? Then meet me in the morning. <clears throat> and it's interesting. Did you see what it? Moses rose up early. You know what that says to me? He didn't want to be late. I have an appointment with the living God, and I don't want to be late. He didn't want to oversleep. He rose up early. He didn't hit the snooze button. You ever done that? He didn't do that. I think the Lord says to each of His children. you really want to see my glory? You really want more of me? Then meet me in the morning. In other words, the Lord is saying, leave the valley of this world below and climb the mountain to meet with me in the morning. I'll throw out a question, but you don't have to answer it. How's your time with God in the morning? Just an interesting story. For many years, I taught at the Calvary Chapel Bible College. First up at Twin Peaks, they moved to Murrieta. I think I taught for 15 years. And I was asked to come address all of the students one Friday morning. There was 350, 400 students. And so I talked to the director of the Bible college, Dave, and he asked, what are you going to teach? And it was kind of this portion of scripture. And I said, I'm going to talk about a devotional life. And he said, oh, good, because those kids, the students, they love their devotional lives. And I thought to myself, I wonder if they really do. So I asked, as I said, how many of you are unhappy with your devotional life that you're having with God. Almost every student raised their hand. (laughs) They were hitting the snooze button. Yeah. I'm convinced that God has made an appointment with his children to spend time with them in the morning before everything else takes place in our day. He says to me, John, I have an appointment with you in the morning. Now, the way my schedule is, uh, since I handed over the senior pastor role to my son, everybody says I'm retired. So don't tell anybody I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm anything but retired, but my schedule is, is pretty free so it's not always the same time but if I was having to be at work at a certain time every morning or school at a certain time every morning my devotional time would always be the same time he's made an appointment with me so the question is will I keep my appointment with God I just got convicted He says to me, he says to his children, meet me in the morning. Come early. Moses had to bring those two tablets. He says, bring the book. Bring the book and meet me in the morning. And so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He showed up for his meeting on time. I like that. Moses showed up. What about God? Verse 5: Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding. In goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God says to Moses, meet me in the morning. You cut two tablets of stone. You broke the first ones. You bring those tablets. I'll rewrite my commandments on those tablets, and you come early. And Moses basically said, I'm here, God. And God said, and I always keep my promise. And God showed up. And he proclaimed his name. He proclaimed the name of the Lord to Moses. That means he revealed His character. He revealed to Moses who he is. And the specific aspects of his character, they're mentioned in the passage. But this was far more than just a lecture on the nature of God. What Moses did that day is he experienced the character of God in a very dramatic way. He's hidden in the cleft of the rock Moses saw the afterglow of the Lord. He saw as much of God's glory as he could possibly take in. That would be my cry. Lord, I want to take in as much of your glory as I possibly can. And God revealed himself to Moses in such a personal way. I think that's what happens when we meet with God in the morning. He reveals himself to us in such a very personal way. He says, Moses, I am merciful. I am full of compassion. Moses, I am gracious. That that word comes from the idea of bending or stooping to show kindness or favor to the undeserving. I am long-suffering I abound in goodness and truth. Lord says, Moses, I'm slow to anger. I, I don't have a short fuse. Aren't you glad about that with God? I can have a short fuse sometimes. Just cut me off on the road. <laughs> okay. I confess. I'm not proud of it, but it's the reality of it. But God is so patient with us. He's so patient with you. And he says, and I keep mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. God's goodness is shown towards us in that he forgives us. I forgive you, he says. I forgive you. I forgive that thought. I forgive you. I forgive those actions. I forgive you. And he says, and I continually deal with iniquity from one generation to the next. You know, sometimes it, we look around our society and our culture and our world and we think, where's God? He's not, it seems like he's intervening. He goes, oh, no, no, no. I will indeed bring judgment. I continually, he never goes to sleep. He never takes a vacation. And he deals with everyone individually. Each one of us personally will stand before God. Every one of us. And, and, and he's not saying here, some people have tried to pull this out, Uh, of the text that that sin is passed down from one generation to the next they call it generational sin that's not to say what takes place in our families doesn't impact us because it does but he's saying i'm going to remain constant throughout all the generations I think he's saying, I'll never give up on any family. And they will know. They will know throughout their generations that I am merciful and gracious and long-suffering and that I abound in goodness and truth. I'm encouraged by that. As I said, my wife and I, we've been married 50 years this last December. We have three sons. One's pastor in Calvary Chapel, Reno Valley. The other two are prodigals. Well, we have a good relationship with them, but they're prodigals. But God's not done with the Millhouse family. I know he loves them, and he's dealing with them in a very personal way. So, so we read in verse 8, so Moses made haste. You get that? idea, man, he, he couldn't wait. He made haste, and he bowed his head to the earth, and he worshiped. And he says, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Moses did his part. He met with God in the morning on the mountain, and God did his part. God showed up, revealed his character and his nature in a very personal way to Moses. What happened? Moses was wiped out. Moses just got wiped out. All he could do was fall to his knees as fast as he could. And he just began to worship God. He was compelled to worship God when he could see so clearly who God was. Listen, when we don't have a compelling drive to worship, And this goes for everyone in the congregation and for worship leaders. When we do not have a compelling drive to worship, it's clear evidence that we're not appreciating who our God is that we're worshiping. And then, as he's worshiping, he begins to repent. He's just broken before God and God's glory. And notice... As he repents, he did not say, and those people, no, he says we, were a stiff-necked people. And then he begins to pray make intercession. Take us, Lord, as your inheritance. We continue to pray for revival, don't we? Well, revival takes place in the church. An awakening takes place outside the church. But a revival takes place in the church. This is revival, worship, repentance, intercession. That's revival. Throughout the rest of the chapter, the Lord begins to warn against the alliances that Moses or the people might make with the world. I think it's summed up for us there in verse 12. Take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, (coughs) lest it be a snare in your midst. That's what happens when we make covenants with this world. They become a snare. We've got to be careful with our involvement with this world. And then Moses, he comes down from the mountain, and this miraculous thing took place drop down to verse 29 of chapter 34 now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him not only did Moses experience the glory the kavod of God (coughs) But he now was reflecting the glory, the kavod of God, and he didn't even know it. I love that. He didn't even know it. It it wasn't something that he'd go, everybody look at me, you see God? He didn't know. There was no pride involved here. We each have, in a sense, a mountain every morning to climb a mountain that's far above the valleys that we have to travel through each and every day. It's that place where God desires to manifest himself, reveal himself to us in a very personal way. (coughs) What he says, meet me in the morning. Come along bring your Bible I'm convinced that when we spend time with the Lord when we put ourselves in that place where he might reveal himself to us I'm convinced that when we meet with him in the morning it's then that he reveals his character to us in such a way that when we come down from the mountain, when we get up from spending time with him, that alone time with God, and then we start our day, and we all have to start our day, right? That he not only travels with us every step of the way, but we reflect who he is as we go. And we don't even know it. And those that we come in contact with, those who are craving for that emptiness to be filled, and they're looking in all the wrong places, They're so unfulfilled and unsatisfied and frustrated and exasperated and discouraged and discontented and disgruntled and disappointed and disillusioned and disheartened and disenchanted. Their hearts are embittered and they come in contact with us and they see his glory, his kavod. It's reflected upon us by his grace. May our cry be, Lord, please show me your glory. But don't pray that prayer. Don't utter that cry unless you're willing to pay the cost and to meet with him in the morning and bring your Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, No wonder the enemy does everything he can to keep us from having alone time with you, because he knows what that alone time accomplishes. Oh Father, touch your church, I pray. Touch our hearts. Instead of hitting the snooze button, let us, in a sense, roll out of bed with anticipation of spending time alone with you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.